Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Uh, It's great to be with you. Uh, We're in the middle of this challenge at the moment, which is called Embrace the Word. And embrace the word is a very Christian sort of phrase. Um, um, Christians love words, don't we? We just love words. We love lots of words. Um, But my hope today is that as we look um, at the Bible, that we won't just get words, but that we will get the word. And we're going to lead into a time of communion. So uh, that won't be straight away. But I want you to, to anticipate that because that's a moment for you to engage with God personally. So um, make sure that you don't just let that moment pass by without meaning anything to you this morning. In that passage from John 1 that I read just before, John is writing all about the Word. And I'm going to talk today about what we mean when we talk about, as Christians, the Word. And the Word just means the way that God reveals himself to humanity. He has revealed himself, and we see this right through Scripture, by means of what we call the Word. And so if there's anyone here today who feels like they don't know God, um, but they would like to, well, I want to encourage you that God has actually revealed himself to you and to us through his Word so that you can actually know him. Because Um, Sometimes we think, I think there might be a God out there somewhere, but I don't feel like I know him personally. But he wants to reveal himself to us through the word. I was in an Alpha group recently, Alpha discussion. There was someone in the group who was talking about just that idea. They're like, I I feel like there is a God out there, but um, I don't know who or what he is. And, um, And someone else in the group said, well, if there was a God, do you think he would leave you guessing? And, um... And he said, well, with all due respect, he's left me guessing, which I thought was a clever response. But actually, I I would like to encourage, you know, all of us that he hasn't actually left us guessing because he's revealed himself to us in his word so that we can know who he is. But often we do find ourselves in life, you know, we're born, we grow up. And some at some point in our life, there comes that moment where we go, what am what is this all about? What am I doing here? You know, I've just, I'm living this life, but what is it all about? It's like sometimes it can feel like we've just been plonked here by some higher power that hasn't left us any kind of clues and and we've got to kind of work it out ourselves. It makes me think of the movie The Born Identity, which is a great movie and um, it's about 20 years old now. But if you haven't seen it, it's got Matt Damon. He plays Jason Bourne. But at the very start of the movie, he doesn't know that he's Jason Bourne. He doesn't know who he is. He turns his, the movie starts with him unconscious floating in the Mediterranean Sea and some fishermen pick him up and they resuscitate him. And when he regains consciousness, he has amnesia. He can't remember who he is and he can't remember what he's doing. But he's got all of his um, cognitive faculties, but he, he doesn't remember anything. But there's some clues there's some clues. There's a laser pointer on his person which has a um, gives him a clue to go to a, a security box at a bank um, in Switzerland, I think. And when he gets to the security box, it's got passports with his photo on it, say Jason Bourne, and, um, and it's got money in different currencies and a gun which start to give him a little bit of a, an idea about what might be going on. And then he's sleeping on a bench and some, guard, some policemen come up to him to tell him to move on and suddenly he 
um, speaks to them in German, which he didn't know he could do. And uh, he begins to fight them, like with Kung Fu, which he didn't know he could do. And he takes them both down and dismantles their guns and runs off. And so suddenly he's realizing, oh, maybe I'm, you know, like a pretty cool secret agent man. But uh, fortunately for us as the viewers, he leans into those things and keeps following those threads to find out his true identity. If he didn't do that, if he decided, oh, look, I'm not interested in espionage, I'm just going to start again and just take up a life in the suburbs or something, it would be a very boring movie. Fortunately, he leans into the things which have been given to him. And for us, we can sometimes feel like we're Jason Bourne, not knowing what we're doing here or where we've come from. But actually, God has given us his word, which is those threads, and it's up to us to decide if we're going to pursue them and find out our true identity and what it's all about. This passage, John 1, is all about the word. So for the Jewish audience of the day, the word was the way that God makes himself known to us, but not just makes himself known to us, makes himself known to us personally. And in this passage, we John brings out those three, the three ways in which the word manifests. In verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word that he's using for word there in the original Greek is the word logos. And logos in, in the ancient Greek is the rational principle guiding the universe and making life coherent. That's what logos is, this principle which runs through all of life and makes things coherent instead of just um, you know, a, a, an abstract chaos. Things have got coherence, and they do, don't they? Any human can see that. Things are coherent, and there's a principle which runs through life to make things work together. And to the Greeks, that is logos. But to the Jewish audience, they would have understood that idea because there is an idea running right through the Old Testament of the wisdom of God which underwrites everything. And we see this in the Proverbs. So it says in Proverbs 8, this is wisdom talking. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I, wisdom, was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So for the um, Jewish audience, they, they understand this concept of wisdom which runs right, God's wisdom which is there from the very beginning and pervades everything. But further than just being a, a principle or a force, like the Greeks understood it, for the Jews, wisdom is presented here as a personality that can be known. And in, in Proverbs, is actually presented as a woman. It says in verse 1, does not wisdom call out does not understanding raise her voice. At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance she cries aloud, to you, O people, I call out. 
I raise my voice to all mankind. So the image that we get here in the Proverbs is this wisdom, the personality of God's wisdom, which is calling out to all mankind to be known. And the Bible says that, that as we look around, as we look at life, at this world, which is which has been created with order, we can see that there is a creator. It points us to the fact that we have a maker, but a lot of people just choose to be ignorant to the fact, to that fact. And one of the, the main ways that we as humans, I believe, can know the wisdom of God is by the innate sense that we have of good and evil. And wisdom talks about this in the proverb. She says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behaviour and perverse speech. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And so sometimes in order for us to have a clear sense of what, you know, of what the of what right is, what is objectively right, is to know what the opposite of wrong is. And I think all of us have got a deep sense of evil. We know when things are really wrong. There are some things that no one doesn't, people don't need to explain to us. We don't need to be given a textbook to know deep down that, that it is wrong. Humans just have that innate sense um, of evil. And this is most classically exhibited in the trials that happened at Nuremberg after World War II because the Nazis had to be brought to trial for war crimes and for the, I don't have to need to go into, I'm taking my jacket off, this is, we're talking about Nazis now, so let's, we're getting serious. So in these trials, you know, the interesting thing was, was that they were behaving, the, the, you know, the, the um, Nazi leaders were behaving in compliance with the law of Germany. So according to the law of Germany, they weren't, do, they weren't breaking the law. So how do you bring them to trial? Well, you bring them to trial because it was determined that there are some things that are so wrong and so evil that it doesn't matter what context you find yourself in, they're still wrong. And, uh, and so you can be, you can be um, held accountable to a global set of, um, of a global standard because there's this understanding that there are some things that it doesn't matter even if everyone says it's right, it's still wrong. And in order for that to be true, there has to be this guiding principle, which is talked about in Proverbs, which pervades everything and which is common to all mankind. And we even see it now, you know, with like the G7 and that kind of thing, this idea of nations coming together to to, um, stand against things which can be collectively agreed as being wrong. And when we can understand something being wrong, it means that it points in some way to a sense of of something being objectively right. When we look at, I mean, it doesn't have to be as grandiose as Nuremberg. It can be our own life. We look at people um, acting against us in a way which which we know is wrong. That's not the right way for for me to be treated. Or even worse, we behave in a way which deep down we know is not right. And when we feel that sense, it points to the fact that deep down we know that there is a way that we should behave. It's like this... There's this ideal that we possess of the perfect person and it lives somewhere in our mind. And who could that perfect person be if not God? And so this innate sense of good and evil actually points us to the person of God. But then actually God's word becomes more concrete and specific than than that. And we see in John 1 that John writes, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. And so for us now, we have the word in the form of the Bible. Uh, But in this context, the word for them of scripture was the law. 
which looked primarily like the first five books of the Old Testament. And this law was given to Moses. God met with Moses and gave him the law, which was written down and became the concrete word by which we could know God. And it says here, describes the law as the grace already given. What does that mean? Well, what is grace? Grace is simply a way of saying a good thing which is given to us by God when we don't deserve it. That's what a grace is, something good that we get from God that we don't deserve. And so the law is given to us as a good thing from God that we don't deserve. But why is the law good? I mean, because often as Christians we can talk about the law as being this bad thing, you know, this set of rules that we're glad to be free of. But here John is actually writing about the law as a grace from God. And the reason is is because the law was not given to us primarily to show us how to live, although it does do that, but it was given to show us how to know God. That's primarily what the law was meant to do. It was meant to show the Israelites how to know God. And, um, and we can see that the attitude in the Old Testament towards the law wasn't the, the disparaging one that we have now as contemporary Christians. In fact, in the Psalms, when they write about the law, they talk about the law romantically. They actually use romantic language to talk about the laws that were handed to Moses, which is just so bizarre to us now. But I'll give you an example. Psalm 119, starting at 71, it says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. So why would you use that kind of romantic language? The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. It's like romantic poetry. Why would you use that kind of language to talk about a set of rules which has been given down? Well, because when you're in a relation, like a loving relationship with someone, this is true. When you're in a loving relationship with someone, you want to know or you should want to know the kinds of things that you could do that would make them happy. That's what you want to find out. You actually want to find out what are the things that I can do that would make you happy. And you want to do them because you love the person and you want to strengthen the relationship with them. You know, like let's say, for example, that you're a single man and uh, you live in a place that doesn't have a dishwasher and so you have to wash the dishes by hand. And you have this kind of way of operating, which is that let's say you've got people around, there's lots of dirty dishes at the end of the night. Rather than staying up after everyone's gone and doing all the dishes, you decide I'll go to bed and I'll get up the next morning and then I'll do them then when I'm not feeling as tired. Okay, but then you marry someone and you get married to someone who prefers to actually stay up even though you're really tired and to do all of the dishes uh, before you go to bed so that you're not waking up to a kitchen full of dirty dishes in the morning so I can see some people nodding along. And uh, now you could say, no, that's not the way I do things, so uh, I'm just going to go to bed. And, and you get to do what you want, yes, but your relationship with that person is adversely affected. If you actually want... <laughs> someone's been there. If you want to actually strengthen your relationship with a person, you go, what are the things that would make you happy? It would make you happy if we did the dishes before we went to bed. And I'm actually going to do that because I care about investing in this relationship. So you actually treat those things romantically. And that's how the Jews 
approached the law and thought about the law. I want to do the kinds of things that would make you happy, God, because it's going to strengthen the relationship that I have with you and I will get to know God better by by living in his way, which in this case is the law. And uh, we saw in that psalm that I was reading before, it says, your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. So the same hands which created you created the law. So by living in line with the law, you're actually getting to know the hands of the same person who made you. And after Moses received this law, he pitched a tent a tent of meeting, which we call the tabernacle, and God's presence came and and came, would come down to the tabernacle there and Moses would go out and meet with God. So there's this relationship between receiving the law and knowing God. However, some of us will know how this turned out because by the time Moses died, it says in Deuteronomy 31, after Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites, which were the priests, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and there it will remain as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more you will rebel after I die. And so this law, which which was given as a way of knowing God, actually became the very thing which showed the Israelites' inability to be like God and to be near God. And so the law, we have the, we have the word which, which manifests itself as the law, which manifests itself as common wisdom, and both of them, show to us not only a way of knowing God, but also ways in which you and I will inevitably fail. Because you might go, well, I don't believe in the law. I'm not Jewish. I'm not, I just won't, I'm not, I'm not going to fail at it because I'm not even going to try. But you've even got your own standard. You know, I was talking about that principle of good and evil before by which you will fail. Because all of us have got judgments about what's right and what's wrong. And we know that by the way that you make judgments about other people. So let's say that your phone, somehow you could set up an app on your phone and it started to record, voice record every time you made an, um, a judgment about someone else. And uh, not just the one, not just, this is just the ones that you say, forget about the ones that you think, but just the ones that you say in conversation to other people. Every time you make a judgment about someone else, you, you, the phone goes beep and starts recording it. And then at the very end of your life, it plays to you all of the judgments and indictments that you've made about other people. And there you've got your own standard that you've set up for other people. And then we'll see how you fare by your own standard of others. And you will fail because we've, we've, we're very critical of other people and we're much more gracious on ourselves because we understand our own context. We don't take the time to understand other people's context. So even putting the law aside, even by our own standards of right and wrong, we still won't live up to it. So we see our imperfection is inevitable. So we, we have the word presented to us as, as scripture, the law, as just common wisdom, sense of good and evil, and by those things, we fail. But fortunately, in John 1, we get the full revelation of the word. And it says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
God, who has been desiring for us to know him through his word and yet unable to come near due to our sin, gives us the full picture of his word in the person of Jesus. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the term that John uses. And you know that that phrase which is translated into English as made his dwelling among us is actually the same word that we would use for tabernacle or pitching a tent. So that picture that we got before of Moses pitching a tent actually has its full expression in the person of Jesus who comes and pitches his tent amongst us. But the difference is, is that Moses wasn't able to look at God directly, if you know the story. But for us, we actually get the full picture of Jesus, of, of God in the person of Jesus. It's like that wisdom that was there from the beginning and the law that was given to us are a dim reflection of the word, which is then given to us in full brightness in the person of Jesus. I think of it like the singles which are released before an album comes out. So, you know, like a band's bringing out a, a, you know, like a new album, but before they release the album, they'll actually release a couple of singles. And uh, the singles are there to kind of whet your appetite, right? So they give you a taste, but then the album comes out and you get the full picture. But once the album comes out, you don't stop listening to the singles. In fact, the singles, if it's a good album, will actually be even better in the context of the album. Music lovers will know what I'm talking about. And that's what it's like with, um, with, this, with God's wisdom and God's law. We don't do away with those things now that we have Jesus. We actually see those things in the context of Jesus and they're, they're brought to full fruition. Jesus is not to do away with those other iterations of the word but actually to complete them. You see, educated Jewish critics of, of Jesus' movement, and um, I'll invite the band back up now because we'll, we'll move into communion, but edu- educated Jewish critics of Jesus' movement claimed that his followers didn't know the Scriptures. But what John is actually doing here in, in John 1 is he's saying not only do we know the Scriptures, But Jesus is actually the full embodiment of the word. He's not a contradiction to it. He's actually the full embodiment of it. So we need Jesus now in order to approach the whole of Scripture and to bring it to its full completion. Because if we start reading abstract parts of the Bible without using Jesus as the interpretive key to understand them, then we'll often get it really wrong. Um, I was watching a documentary this week about a murder trial. One of the family of the victims was quoting the Bible. And they said, the Bible says an eye for an eye. If you take a life, then your life needs to be taken. And then it just moved on. And that was just kind of left unaddressed. And people go, oh, okay, that's what the Bible says. And the Bible does say that. But if you don't actually look at that through the interpretive key of Jesus, you, you misunderstand the full scope of things. Because Jesus said, you have heard it, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And that's not Jesus doing away with justice. But he's saying, you don't need to be your own sense of justice in the world. You don't need to be the vigilante who goes out righting every wrong. You can trust that God is actually in charge of justice and that justice has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus who took upon himself all of the punishment for our wrongdoing and for the wrongdoing of others. So in John 1, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So we have this full revelation of the word in Jesus. But not only that, it's a revelation of the word that doesn't require our perfection. Wisdom and the law require our perfection and we will inevitably fail. But in the word, which is Jesus, we have to believe and then we have the right to become children of God. Children not not born of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We have only to receive it because the word, the person of God actually made himself fully manifest in the person of Jesus. What was a dim reflection we got in full personage in Jesus. And how did we respond? We killed him. That was our response when we got that full picture. There's not a more stark evidence for our unholiness and our imperfection. But fortunately, this word is a word which isn't predicated on our perfection, but on his. So we are going to take communion now. And I want to encourage you as you take the bread and the wine to think of that being the body and blood of the full picture of God who wants you to know him personally. If you're waiting for a revelation of God, well, Jesus is that revelation that you can know today. So we'll take a moment to come and get the elements. And instead of taking them together today, I want you to sit personally with God and to accept, if you will, it's an invitation that I would strongly encourage you all to take, that you would accept God for who he is in the person of Jesus, his body and his blood shed for you so that you could have full relationship with God. So let's come forward now. You have to form a bit of a spacious queue, but there's a number of um, stations around. And uh, take that moment to embrace the word. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you and what is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.